I'm Blake Hargreaves. Welcome to Future Stops. You're hearing a piece of music titled Chords for Organ by Swedish composer Ellen Arkbro. The meticulous tones and precise pitches Arkbro uses are earning her a place among the new avant-garde of composers, with an impressive body of work for an artist barely in their 30s. Today on Future Stops, we sit down with this up-and-coming composer and discuss her creative approach to the organ and her abundant musical creativity a force that was present in her life from a very young age. The very first impulse to compose music was uh, very early on. I was listening to a lot of music that my dad played for me uh, when I was younger, like lots of 80s, uh, like British pop music from the 80s. I was also, I mean, singing in choirs and... Uh, had I mean from from a very early age I was in inside music and then I remember sitting by the piano and writing I mean I took piano lessons and was writing these little pieces uh, it was probably eight or nine <laughs> I don't know and then I started uh, this girl band with my my all my best friends and we started rehearsing in a the basement of the church where I grew up in, in Stockholm. And um, I, I don't really know how I did it, but I was like in, instructing the other girls how to play their instruments, although I had no idea. But I was like showing the drummer what to play and the keyboard player and the bass player, guitar player. And uh, so I was already then an arranger. <laughs> in that way but uh, yeah it was very important and formative uh, experience for me that's when I think I developed this sense of my own creativity being important and how old are you when this begins I was probably 10 years old <laughs> so it, it was from when I was 10 to I think we we stopped playing together when I was, yeah, when we were 15. Any recordings uh, out there of this project? There are recordings. Uh, well, they're hidden in my drawer, but <laughs> but they exist. I think we did a couple of uh, like studio, proper studio visits where we had, yeah, real recordings of the songs. And so the break up this band, I guess, when you're 15 or 16, is sort of around the time that you uh, begin to study. Where, where did you choose to study and what did you choose to study? Then I started studying jazz music. Um, it was not something that I knew I was getting into, but uh, I went to a, a school in Stockholm where everyone's very, you know, dedicated and rehearsing and uh, practicing all day their instruments and I was singing then and jazz music was like what was happening and what was really it, it was like the thing <laughs> you know uh, I I wasn't really aware that that was what I was 
going to get into, but it was uh, what was most thrilling then. And um, this process of studying jazz, at the time, did you think, I'm going to be a jazz singer? Yes. Uh, totally. That was the only thing I could um, imagine lo- looking forward. It, that was like how I imagined uh, my uh, life to be. Yeah. And you're you're not a jazz singer today. Um, so what happened? I think I lost interest pretty quickly, uh, just after a few years. I mean, I was I was already I was so interested in harmony, and um, which is natural if you're into jazz music. There was something that seemed, I don't know, I wanted like sincerity <laughs> and uh, studying jazz music for anyone who has done that knows that it's, um, it didn't feel authentic. I I find no way to express myself. It just seemed like this is not, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle to understand how I would relate to it or if it felt like something that had happened and not something that was happening you know and so you must have searched for authenticity at that time and uh, maybe you found it uh, in a different style of music yeah yeah and I did I think I stopped playing music for a year or so and I I was depressed I mean I got in I went into a depression and didn't really know how to yeah how to be creative or where my place was you know (laughs) um I was a bit lost and then I started experimenting with I had all these guitar pedals I started singing through them and being more creative with sound in ways that I hadn't before um and I started studying at the electronic music studio in Stockholm and learn more about, yeah, a different music that I didn't, it was like a new world opened up for me that I hadn't had access to before. It became that I more and more um, was making electronic music, like with working with synthesizers and um, started working in this program called Super Collider, where I started making generative synthetic music and uh, then from that, starting writing for instruments uh, again. The exploratory nature of Arkbro's musical consciousness expands greatly after moving to New York City. It is there her searching spirit of curiosity comes into contact with an influence that will profoundly shape her life in music in the coming years. Yeah, I was um, getting more and more interested in in tuning and intonation and uh, studying the theory behind it and um, understanding it from that point of view because I had already been, you know, uh, interested in it just on a, you know, by ear. But now I was curious to learn more about it and then getting into this more minimalist style of making music and listening to sustained chords and... uh, experience 
spatiality through sound and all that. And I was introduced to Lamont Young, my partner, Marcus. Yeah, he had all he had always had that tendency to, you know, seek out the people who inspired him the most. So he did with Lamont Young. And he went to New York to study with him and I went with him uh, eventually. And we lived there together in the dream house and studied with Lamont and Marianne and Jung Hee. And that was, of course, uh, an, an, a life-changing experience. Um, especially just seeing how they relate to their work, um, how dedicated they were and how, I mean, they lived their work and they lived for thinking about it and trying to understand it. And um, I think I adapted <clears throat> parts of that way of, of uh, br breathing your work in everyday life and in how you spend your days. And uh, how would you describe um, Lamont Young's contribution to music? I mean, just maybe in general, in terms of the form of the pieces and what makes them unique. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, especially with his piece, The Well-Tuned Piano, that was, um, I mean, f for many, uh, an important piece. Uh, his way of working with tuning and extended durations and form and... Um, this is a piece for a solo piano that's like more than five hours long, and uh, the, I guess the piano is tuned to a, a different tuning system, so there are some parts where the music sounds incredibly in tune, sort of exaggeratedly in tune, and then other parts where it sounds out of tune and strange. Mm, mm. I guess you could say that, yeah. It's a septimal tuning, um, septimal just intonation tuning, and Lamont's style is to exclude uh, the fifth harmonic. So he uses fifths and sevenths to uh, build his world of intervals, which is a very unique sound. And if you hear it and you absorb yourself in it, you will recognize it. It has a very uh, special quality. Well, it seems like a really dramatic shift from studying jazz in Sweden. Yeah, I guess, I mean, in a sense, but, uh, you know, Lamont Young was also a jazz musician, a jazz saxophonist uh, early on. And um, that was something we talked, we talked a lot about jazz music while I was there. And I, I think you can hear that. I mean, you can hear that in his music as well, that the, the, the jazz and blues influences uh, definitely the way he he phrases and the way he works with harmony and the way he, the, I mean, the heavy expression. As these new influences are percolating under the surface, Arkbro finds herself drawn to new instrumentation for reasons that, like so much of her journey, aren't initially clear, but reveal themselves in time. I had, I had been working with, um, with the electric guitar and I had been... Uh, writing a series of pieces for the electric guitar with synthesis 
they were very much focused on um, harmony, tuned harmony, kind of, um, yeah, a s slow harmonic progressions. Um, I would say a bit harsh in sound, like a, a very um, spatial experience in that sense. And somehow through those pieces, I felt like I was struggling a bit with the guitar because I it was like I wanted a different instrument and I I got the idea that I wanted to work with an organ it felt like that was just the di direction like sonically the direction I was getting into I don't know I, I remember that from these guitar pieces I thought no I need to work with an organ and um, I had heard a piece by a friend of mine, Isaac Edberg, uh, a piece called La Mie, um that he had recorded in in the German church in Stockholm, where they have a mintone organ. And I was already interested in tuning, and so I thought this would be cool to ex to explore the mintone tuning. I didn't know anything about it at that time. The mintone temperament, um, and I, I don't really know how I got the idea to incorporate the brass trio, but uh, I was very determined that it would be a brass trio and this organ. I think it came from, um, I mean, learning about the mintone temperament and studying it and realizing what I would get from it uh, tuning wise and what I would and what I didn't get because the mintone tuning without getting into the theory too much um, has uh, very pure thirds um, but not pure fifths uh, so the fifths would beat a little bit and instead you would get the very in-tune thirds. So it's like a compromise. And I think I brought in the brass trio because I wanted to have this very, very stable fifths. Uh, so it was a way of like extending the organ in that way and making it, you know, at least the possibility of it being completely in tune. I wasn't working with the thirds, <laughs> uh, but I was rather working with the, the sevenths and uh, the septimal intervals uh, that I had been uh, listening to in Lamont Young's music, uh, and uh, uh, like a byproduct of the mintone tuning is that in uh, some keys you get like almost. Uh, in tune septimal intervals they're not i mean they vary 
on different organs and on different mean tone temperaments. But the 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 septimal intervals has such a characteristic sound of like a very low and heavy, like a bluesy sound. And uh, you, that characteristic is really there. So I wrote this piece for mean tone organ and brass trio. Um, I was sitting in my dad's apartment in Stockholm by the kitchen table. I had a MIDI keyboard. And it felt like the process of composing the piece felt so real. Like I couldn't relate to having written it. It felt more like it just somehow appeared. <laughs> uh, and and I think because of that, I was a little bit shy with this music because it felt like it meant something to me. And... Um, it came from, yeah, something pure. I don't know. So I, I mean, because I had that experience, I basically just, I had the recordings and I just put them in a folder on my computer and I didn't listen to them. I didn't, I didn't think it would turn into anything. Then my now dear friend, James Ginsburg, approached me and he had somehow got a hold of this recording from the German church <laughs> of this piece for organ and brass trio, and he wanted to release it. I was very hesitant because it felt scary, <laughs> uh, because I knew that it was something, for me, it was something special. The organ was part of your life when you were young, singing in a choir in a church, um, and then it suddenly it reappears. Um, by a sort of divine intervention, like you were saying, you didn't know why or it wasn't a conscious decision. And uh, your next thing you know, you, you just know that you need the organ. Uh, tell me about if there's any... Um, that is that, does it change the nature of the music, the fact that it's happening in a church in that context? What, what does that mean to you, if anything? Well, I guess it does. But I don't know if it's on a level that I can speak about. Um, but I mean, now the the what I'm interested in now with sound and music is it makes so much sense. Like uh, now that I work a lot with organs, it makes so much sense to be working. I mean, I mean, I feel that I work as much with the organ as with the space, the space where the organs are are as important <laughs> as. Uh, the organ instrument. Um, I mean, from from one point of view, it's just like the spatial <laughs> spatiality of sound that I've come to be very interested in. Um, working with harmony in a very spatial way, uh, so working with sustained uh, harmony. And with intervals uh, that uh, create um, like a, a, a dense texture in space and for a listener and for myself to explore that texture as being you know it's like space and harmony becomes one thing um, so it's impossible to distinguish you know the two it's just like moving in space is moving in harmony and 
it becomes like a choreography for the listener and a way for the listener to uh, compose their experience. But then, I mean, on another level, that experience is a very uh, poetic one, is probably the word I would use. I mean, I'm, of course, interested in, in that meditative experience or it's, uh, I mean, existential in a way and it makes you be aware of your body and uh, space and time and uh, um, yeah. These levels of awareness are present in listening and Arkbro discovers they can be heightened with the extension of a traditional instrument using technology to enhance and contrast its traditional boundaries. I think with the chords record, and especially uh, like the year after, uh, I did so many iterations of of that, I guess you can say that organ piece or th that idea, exploring that idea with the organ and with synthesis, by like extending the, the organ with synthesis and just intonation and having it be this like very, very special experience. And I think after a while, I mean, I'm now I feel curious to explore that more again, but I also felt like I didn't understand what would be the next step, <laughs> you know, apart from continuing to exploring that, which I want to do, but I think I needed to get back to a more playful, yeah, intuitive maybe way of being with sound. Okay. Um, and maybe you can tell us how you used synthesis to extend the organ in those concerts. So I would locate uh, the the in-tune fifths and octaves and seconds on the uh, organ. It could be, I mean, it would differ every time. Sometimes there were a lot of sounds that were perfectly in tune, and sometimes it would be like, I would find like four fifths with four different sounds that, oh, we can, these are the ones that we can use. Uh, two of these uh, intervals that we had find found, we would um, add synthesis. So to make the chord fuller, so we would add bass notes and some uh, overtones in between, and we could create, I mean, whatever harmonies we would like, but it would be in a way, I mean, in a subtle way, so that you would it would be perceived as if the all of the sound was coming from the organ, um, but still have this very raw feeling that a synthetic in-tune sound can have.
You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, an excerpt of Chords for Organ by Ellen Arkbro, which illustrates the precision, deliberateness, and clarity which characterizes this period of her creative life. As her music continues to evolve, the cyclical iterations of old ideas take new forms, and she continues to branch out into new ideas. I think I will always want to continue to explore the the sounds of the organ and uh, and to create music in in such a space. But I think I I now I improvise more in concerts and I have couple of new pieces that I perform which are more like like frameworks for improvising or um, like an yeah an idea of sound and using the organ as a synthesizer more and um, and also working with with harmony that are not in just intonation but that behaves in different in, in similar ways uh, of having, you know, rich textures, and uh, I find that working with major sevens and minor seconds is like uh, also can be very um, interesting spatially. Um, so that's something that I continue to do now, uh, which I'm excited to, about. And then I, I'm I've been starting to explore uh, doing like organ installations creating like a chord within a space that people could walk around in and spend more time with. So in that sense, longer durations, like having present a chord for a few days and using the different organs of the space and uh, also something that I'm curious to try out more. The power of the organ to express duration, stability, and to inhabit different modes of expression makes the idea of a sound installation on organ an intriguing one, and one that we've explored in the past on the show with our visit to the John Cage Pipe Organ installation in Season 1. The appeal of the instrument to avant-garde composers gives it new life, and offers their exploration of sound's ability to communicate a unique form and context to work with. We'd like to thank Ellen Arkbro for joining us today, We'd love it if you would join us too on social media at Future Stops and Future Stops Podcast, where you can find links to Ellen's work and bring your voice to the conversation. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists, produced by Andrew O'Connor, with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves. <laughs>